from the rave. <laughs> After a considerable hiatus, finally back on the airwaves, an exciting revival of Tales from the Rave. This time around, revamp the format, bring the even more captivated episode, featuring a new guest each month. We'll delve into the stories that truly shape our vibrancy. In this episode, I have the honor sitting down with Pete, former member, legendary. Awesome free. As we reminisce about the bygone era of the summer of love, I'll be treating your ears to a mix of music nostalgia that will transport you back inside. But that is not all, but a special surprise in store for you. I'll be dropping a selection of my exclusive remixes, breathing new life into some beloved old school classics. Get ready to experience these tracks like never before. That chat with Pete will uncover some truly electrifying moments. Prepare to hear about an energy filled and added dancer that is sure to leave you entertained. And of course, we dive into the story behind the recording of Austin Free's unforgettable classic, Don't Go. So sit back, relax, and get ready to immerse yourself in a captivated tale, an infectious beat. Tales from the Rain.
So anyway, Pete, take me back, take me back to where it all began for you. How did you get into music? From the age of 13, 14, I was listening to my brother's record, my brother who was about six years older than me. I listened to his record collection and everything that he was buying, I was listening to as I was going into his bedroom when he wasn't there, putting his record player on and listening to his record collection. And that was everything, that from Michael Jackson to early Human League stuff, New Order. record collection and then he became a DJ pub DJ and I've got to say it was amazing he used to have pubs rocking but he was a pub DJ and he do Fridays and Saturday nights and one of his stints was a bull's head in Swinton and I'm not kidding now you couldn't get in the place it was rocking you know he never went down that road without music for me enough time ever you know he, he just he, he never got into it he stuck to what he did and you know it, he was one of them DJs who'd go through weddings and stuff like that, but he was probably one of the best pub wedding DJs. It's his personality, he was brilliant. But getting back to your question, I would 15, 16 be going with him on a Friday night when we both finished work. We worked together. I'd be going, I was going with my brother Tom to spinning while he was buying records from Ken. At that point, I befriended Russ and Ken. And then I actually started working in the Arndale Centre in Manchester. So that gave me a brilliant opportunity to start buying my own records. I bought a lot of the records that he had for DJing because I did it myself as well. So I thought it was a great thing to do.
great way of earning money and paying for your record collection yeah. as well. So I became very friendly with Russ and Ken, but uh, more so Russ, spinning records. I ended up striking up a, a long-term relationship, friendship with Russ. I was ended up best man at the wedding, actually. So I was kind of there that moment when all the power strings that started trickling through, going in there, and you, you, you're going through records, and every now and then you'll just hear something, and you're kind of like, wait a minute, what is this? And that's how it struck it for me. It was kind of like, what is this music? What's coming through these? What, what are these imports coming through? That's how I... When you first started buying your house music from spinning records, what tracks were you buying then? When stuff like S Express started coming through, I would play stuff like that, every bit of residency in a local pub on a Sunday night. Enjoy this trip. Enjoy this trip. And it is a trip. Countdown is progressing.
playing that kind of stuff and I started to slip in to so like more acid house chats, what people, I mean it really took people back, we kind of like, what, the, what is he playing here? But I was playing all the chartier stuff when it first broke, I was getting away with playing all, you know, SX dresses and stuff like that, and then... What for acid, acid records were you playing them? Did you think of one of them? Yeah, I can actually. I tried to slip blue chip technological in a few times. It really does. And it would it would stop the crowd there. I was like, what the fuck's he playing? And it was like, long lord come up and say, don't be playing that in here. I don't know what it is, but don't be playing that music. <laughs> so, you know, I'd get people saying, there's no fucking music. There's no, there's no vocals in it. What are you doing? But then, 808 dropped, don't they? with Pacific State and Radio One's got a grip of it. I remember Steve Wright in the afternoon playing Pacific State and they were saying like this and they kind of like, it almost stopped the show to go, this is a new sound. Music and stories from the rave generation. Tales from the rave.com. Anyway, once it on the youth night, on the mainstream side of things, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked on the fish market in uh, Manchester. Worked with a guy who came working in the fish market to Southerner, and we all thought, you know, we, he just he was some sort of like different kind of chap. But he was saying that he was going to the Hacienda to watch live bands. Myself and my brother Tony, before it really kicked off, was playing us acid house really. We were getting in there through the midweek to see bands, and then the acid house thing hit. But I'd already been in a good 10, 15 times watching the Dave Haslam, listening to different music really. I've popped in there quite a few times, not regular by any stretch of the imagination, but I've been in there. Talk about Dave Vaslam, what was your favourite track what Dave Vaslam used to play? He used to play some cracking records in. Pick one out of a million, innit? Because yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying just pick one off the top of your head because there's so many. Drop having 17, wasn't it? I've never been closer i tried to understand That certain feeling Carved by another's hand but it's too late to hesitate We can't keep on living like this Anything in there, everything, 
and I just think I mean he's still doing it today isn't it? that's mm. it oh, he stood the test of time he's still he's still playing still playing the same record collection <laughs> like what's doing his name to a certain extent who isn't yeah. You know, if, it's, if, if you think about it, if you're playing at an old school night, everyone is playing all records, aren't you? There isn't on that scene if he's hitting or anything for that matter, getting picked to play to a certain crowd, you're not going to be able to squeeze anything new in there, are you? You're going to be playing all them old records anyway. But to, to be honest, still, the fact that he's still out there, he's still doing it now, and he's still stuck to his guns, aren't he? He's still got that style about him, he's just hats off. Oh, no, he's quite quick, Awesome 3 come about then? Awesome 3 was already going before I joined Awesome 3 before they asked me to uh, oops Awesome 3 had already done all the possessed hard ups my particular favourite was Freedom of Life I always played that
actually, when I was DJing to play Freedom of Life, they'd already done, they were already signed to AM. People signed them to AM and they were already doing their stuff before I before I got involved. And I had a, a residency on a Saturday night at a club in Manchester called Vogue on Princess Street. So that was my, my longest running residency, really. David come down on a regular basis and I never played it because he was there. It was part of what I played on a Saturday night. I got friendly with Steve and Dave. I got I spoke to him quite a lot in underground records because Ken Grogan, Ken Grogan had a bit of a part in Awesome Three really with Steve Wolf. So they were not saying managed him or anything like that, but they were quite friendly with him. And I bump into Dave and Steve. A lot. I ended up striking up a bit of a relationship with Dave as well, talking to Dave quite a lot. Dave Johnson was the musically, you know, awesome. He had quite a few members along the years. Dave was the spark behind the band, in my opinion. Dave made things happen. Dave was always the guy talking to the record label. He was always the guy talking to the agent, guy called Richard Smith. So we communicated everything that we did through Dave, and then. On a Saturday night in Vogue, Dave and Steve said, she fans coming in doing some stuff with us. She fancy getting involved, doing a session with us. And although I'd done some studio work, I went in with them and started writing music with them. I think that they were looking, I think that Dave had the vision at that time that Shane had left the band by then. I don't think they were in bed with AM anymore. I think that one deal had expired with AM, so they were looking for a record deal. And Dave Catline had the vision to get a DJ on board because what Dave was interested in was the way I, if I was mixing the track for somebody, how I'd do the arrangement on it. If you listen, I'm never going to get to this particular track, but if you do listen to Don't Go, we're writing stuff, and Don't Go was the one that jumped out and got us a deal with Excel. But it's the arrangement on Don't Go that kind of makes it stand out for me. Because I was DJing so much at the time. I mean, I was a full-time DJ by that point. That was my living. I was working. I had three gigs a week, every single week, DJing all over the country, over in Ireland. I was constantly out working. So I wanted to put DJ slant on the track when it comes to the arrangement so that people, the DJs could really work it. Because I wasn't the DJ, I wasn't, and I still am not today, actually, one of the DJs who throws track in, track out, track in, track out. I mix, you know, I like people to win mixes as opposed to sort of like flying them all over. You get more creative with it, don't you? Yeah. So. And that's everything I've ever written really and everything that I've ever remixed for people always have that signature to it they are drawn out for a reason that somebody who's into the craft of mixing records can actually mix them I like to mix records and not don't want it over in a second that's how I've always arranged music for people as well especially if I'm remixing it for somebody or writing I'll always do it so that the space in the tracks for people to to get to grips with what's going on and the story in the track as well because the track's a story at the end of the day isn't it yeah. you're listening to someone write a piece of music which is basically they're trying to get something over to you and in my opinion it's a story isn't it they've had this thing flying on the head they're getting it out through speakers and taking you on a journey for three and a half minutes to six minutes and that's so I like to do it I like to mix a certain style which is drawn out what was the first gig like what you did with Awesome Free? 
This was before Donald Gold was written this. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced it was before Donald Gold. We'd written some new material that Dave said, we're going to put it in the middle of death. That's it, hard up. Live, you had Wayne Allen doing vocals, who was a brilliant live vocalist, by the way. What an amazing frontman he was to have at the front of his band. His vocals were, vocals were outstanding, and he pulled it off live. He was probably the saving grace from the left, but for all of us, but he was out there. He was so good off the front. But my first one was Big Club in Blackpool on, I think it was, I think the name of the club now is it Shabu. One of them, yeah. it's one of them big clubs. Next fact we were playing, I remember them being there. It's funny actually, because I remember John De Silva being on as well. I've done gigs with John through Tony Hanna, who ran Chaos. Quite a bit of the stuff I did was warming up for people like John De Silva and Sasha 
and Steve Williams and people like that at Chaos and places like that for Tony Hannon. So it was a bit more, it was, well, it's a little bit more underground feel to them, some of them nights. But I remember John De Silva seeing me walk on stage with Austin Freeman and I came up and John Silva said to them, Pete, you're in Austin Freeman. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, Wow, I never knew that. I didn't know you did not. It was like, yeah, they am, yeah, they am, yeah, they did. To this day, I still think to myself, what did he make of that? What was he, was he surprised? Because I've seen you doing these underground warm-up sets, all of a sudden, you're going on stage with Arsene awesome 3, or is he just, you, while you're in Arsene awesome 3, I don't know. I've always thought that, actually. I've never had the chance to ask him. I don't suppose it's something he'd remember, really, yeah, is it's it? Yeah, it's probably just... Think about it, you said, all right, you're Nelson Free, you know what I mean? He looks a bit shocked actually. But well, that was the first that was the first gig we did with him and it kind of because don't forget what at that time then I am doing more and more sessions with Dave and Steve then. I'm going over to Wivenshaw from Salford probably a good two nights a week. We weren't doing loads of gigs at by any stretch. At that time there, they never had a record to put out. I'm not saying the gigs dried up, but by what they told me about the gigs that they had done and the amount of gigs that they'd done up to that point, they certainly dropped off a bit. It became more intensive, the studio work. We had done different things and we were sending it to Richard Smith quite a lot. He'd come our manager, well, he was our agent. He was just our booking agent. He became our manager and it was him who found us ultimately found us the record deal with Ventatech and then found us the record deal with Excel. All of a sudden, we're working hard, trying to come up with a new record. Don't go dropped. It's a different sport, big game changer that, as everybody knows. When don't go, it's, it's like, hang on a minute. That's when it all got big again for the band. I mean, big for me, because I've never been in the band that wrote the record with that much, with that much weight to it. That's where things change with Don't Go when we come up with that. Or we come up with enough ideas in within knowing that we've got what we consider to be a killer piano riff. And then I've got the vocals done and Steve adds into the vocals as well. Obviously Dave's involved, but vocals and piano and we're thinking let's get some time booked in at Spirit. But book a couple of days in getting there and finish. But although it was Headstrong, which was the B-side, we thought was going to be the big one, and so did Richard Smith.
already done. We've not took it into the studio to get it finished, but we've kind of pretty much done the most part of Headstrong, and that's where we were going with it, which is a million miles away from Don't Go. That's where we're going in to finish Headstrong and to get more work done on Don't Go while we're in its spirit, because we're confident that we have two singles there. Although there was more confidence went towards, in my book, there was more confidence went towards Headstrong than there was towards Don't Go. As it turns out, it happens to be the complete opposite. But when we finally got Don't Go done at Spirit, that's when we thought to ourselves, we've got hit on our hands. And it did. You knew pretty instantly, though, didn't you, back in the day when you had a big record out? Yeah. Because it was like that. It wasn't like the intern now. I remember leaving spirit with it and going to underground records because kenny and Russ had then gone and set underground up and i remember walking into underground records with a tape at the tape of don't go and saying to ken can play that and he played it and dubs were in there ain't no love ain't no use to they've been there girls anyway they're in there the two guys oh substance
puts it on, plays it, and this is the finished track mix. This is it. It's been mixed down. Ken played it, and Ken looks two guys. All four people just went, that's it. Straight away, they just went, that is a hit, that and it's a start. It's just confirmed my suspicions that that we're all right, that we've got the right track here. It's not, I'm not sitting here trying to blow me on trumpet, I'm just telling, you know, how it was, and you'd have been there yourself. No, I mean, we used to do tracks, and then we used to go uh, into spinning with them. We used to go see Kenny cool. on the ground as well, so just done a remix, I've listened to this. Yeah, of course, yeah. We all used to do the same thing, didn't we, you know what I mean? Do you know, it was the acid test, wasn't it, really, you think about it. Just, I mean, especially when we went into Underground Records, got money, we got everybody. The acid test was to go into Underground Records, you're playing what you're talking to two guys. Kind of a big Andrew business party line, didn't it, with people in spinning saying, sign this import, and it sold half a million copies or something, didn't it? So it, if he's the guy, if Kenny's the guy, and us to an extent, or look more underground, more Ken, won't it? If you go in there and this is the guy you're like, on hand signing business party line, you're going to blame the record, aren't you? Because what it's getting known. Get up and party! Get up and jam! Get up and party! Get up and jam! Are you ready? Are you ready? You're laughing, aren't you? You know you've done it. From that moment, getting that cassette and sending 
cassette to Richard Smith. I mean, I remember, I remember Richard Smith ringing me up, just saying, this is a massive track, this. And then he then got it signed by Entity. He got it signed by a small label, and I think they did they did a few thousand on it, Entity, they smashed it with it. And then all of a sudden, the next phone call that we get regarding that, I mean, we ended up, we all signed a new publishing deal together. And then on top of that, a couple of months go by, all of a sudden, XL are knocking on the door. Richard Russell and Nick Hawks and they're saying, no, we want to sign it, we want to put it out. And then it's like, hang on a minute, we're signing to the, a massive stable here, XL. But the time, got everybody on there, you've got projects.
really helped him as well that Richard Smith was managing it for us and he was only our agent. He was the guy who was broken the record deal for us as well as being a live agent. Our manager has just got the record deal and on top of that, he's also booking those gigs as well. That's when we get busy again with uh, live stuff to get really busy. And then in the middle of all that, I've still got... Going into the live stuff, you played electric drums on stage, didn't you? At the time, I wasn't a musician, I was a DJ. I could sit there like everybody else and work something out on keyboards. Your ears, because you're a DJ, your ears will tell you what goes with what. You don't have to be a pianist to know that. You know that, that's why you're in my music, because you're all you do every day of the week is listen to the records at night. Going out and doing it live, I'll speak for the majority of people who are doing that at that time. There wasn't much live stuff running, was there? Some bands were running some live stuff, but yeah, we you know, we wouldn't. A few live samples out, that's all we used to do. Right. I mean, that's it, Steve did as well. To go from standing and DJing for two or three hours, especially if I was doing a warm-up set, I'd do it like three, two and a half, three hours. To doing that, to be totally engaged, to then standing behind the keyboard, what was plugged in but not turned on, it just didn't feel right to me. I could work my way around a bit with a kit. So I said to Dave, let's buy an Oxford. You know, remember the old Oxford pad kits? The electric kits, I just said, let's buy one of them. I'll play that instead. Although that's not plugged in either. At least it'll look like I'm playing some. I'd rather look like I'm playing the drums than rather look like I'm not playing a keyboard. In fact, we were in Liverpool one night. I remember playing on a Monday night. It was packed, this club. It was the Merseyside Derby as well. Hammered this place. I can't think what it was called. Anyway, just playing away on these keyboards. This guy just walks up at the side of me and goes, that's not plugged in. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be... <laughs> so that, that was at that point, I just said, I don't want to do this, you know, I'd rather get an electric junket on stage or something and make it get a bit of light, put a bit more life in it. And that's what we did.
went well with that look pure on a gig and you were going on after Dream Treatment set and Ian has got like 650,000 keyboards on stage and he's just he is playing live do you know what I mean he's got so much going on you're like Christ we're going to look awful going on after Dream Treatment it's such a vibrant big show I mean he put everything into it didn't he he still does today everything's all singing all dancing in Ripon, so I'm still playing these drums. And I step backwards and fall off the back of the stage. Oh dear. <laughs> well, we're... 
<laughs> I just completely misstepped it and went right off. Luckily, it was grass behind us. Obviously, we were in enormous market. That one would haunt me today. If that, if that was a video of that, I would definitely <laughs> change my name and move to for this country and on the planet to get away from the gross embarrassment that I've lived with for the rest of my life. But I did, it fell off. It managed to... We just climb back up and you'll stand back up. Total professional Phil Collins eat your heart out. Oh, it's hot. Music and stories from the Rave Generation. Tales from the Rave.com. I worked on a fish market, that's what I did before, and all of a sudden I got back into the DJing. I actually gave up before doing awesome food. I was getting three solid gigs a week, week in, week out, and didn't have to work in the day. So I just did that. All of a sudden, this is a career thing, and then you chuck off and be on top of it as well. You're busy with just doing music. You think to yourself, well, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Well, the big question is, who saw any of it coming? It was so big. You can talk about punk and you can talk about soul and none of them times for music have ever stuck around. Even rock and roll and the hippies here, isn't it? It's still going on 30 odd years later. But at the time, when it hit, it's just a game changer, isn't it? Everything in your life changes all of a sudden. It killed off football hooligans, didn't it? You know, it put the kids here in Manchester, who's got six mates who are all lads, would pile into two cars and go to a club in Leeds on a Tuesday night. You're not doing it, are you? You know why? Because you had one in the club that's going to kick your head in on the way out. So it killed all that, didn't it? And it just... I'm not going to start getting into this big loving thing here, but it did.
down to, but make no wrong about it, it's down to a, some bloody pill what we brought into the culture. That kills it all, doesn't it? And it's like all of a sudden it's just this, it just changed lots of things for lots of people, didn't it? When you think about it's it. It's opening though, isn't it? Open to a lot of people's eyes. Of course, yeah. For me, I'm a production geek, mate. I love big rigs and big stage settings. And so to be involved in that side of it and be stood on some of these stages and DJing back then, two and three thousand people, and you're like. DJing wise, what was your favourite of a gig DJing? <sighs> That's a really good question, though. That is a really, really, really good question. Do you know? Start at the beginning then. What was your favourite ever warm-up set? First of all, I managed to wangle my way into doing some warm-up sets. I managed to get some warm-up sets at Man Alive with uh, Eric Barker. He got me some gigs. I gave him a tape because Tony, our Tony, Tony Ross, he was already playing Man Alive and playing with 808 State at that time and doing stuff. Tracks we played. Early doors for my warm-up sets, I'm playing Rhythm Warfare, two notches and stuff like that. Acid tracks and stuff like that. The Man Alive, which is a brilliant club to play at. That was a great one. I was lucky enough to get some gigs when 808 stay at their residence at the Sound Garden if they were away doing gigs. And Tony was looking after their sets with Vinny and people like that. I was lucky enough to get some sets there with Eric Powell. I was lucky enough to get on there. And then I think my big break, really, and the most important one for me was when Tony Hannon used to do a club called Chaos in Leeds once a month on a Tuesday night and then he moved it to once a fortnight 
I asked Tony could I send him a cassette over. I remember mailing a cassette over to Tony and Tony ruled me back up and said, right, you can play the next Chaos. For me, that was that is my best gig, actually, that. It's down as being one of the best gigs. It is the best gig, actually, doing the first Chaos, the first warm-up for Steve Williams and Tony Ross at Chaos, because it was such an amazing night. And I get to go on and play two hours of all the music that I want to play. On that night, what was your favourite track what you heard on that night? What brings back their members from that night? Ruined in a day, New Order, Chaos Mix. I got that as my last track to just pick it up for Tony and Tony went on after that. That was my big track then.
One of the best things I ever did was I played a, a charity gig in Broughton, in Salford, and there's a guy, only a young guy, our age at the time, this is about 95, this, he passed away. We had a charity gig for him at a pub in Broughton, and it was a big pub, and it was absolutely hammered as well. It was packed. And then when all the charity stuff had gone on, I went on then, and I took, I must have took, I knew it was going to be a long one, I must have took down eight cases of records, and I started playing at nine o'clock at night, and I finished playing at about seven o'clock in the morning, and it was absolutely rocking the whole place. And that wasn't a nightclub, that, that was just, I don't suppose it really matters, does it? The atmosphere was incredible. Put a big lighting system in for it, and sound system and everything, because they knew it was going to be busy. But the Griffin pub it was, that's it. There was 500 people in the place, easily, easily. And at seven o'clock in the morning, the police turned up, multiples of bright bands outside and everything. And I managed to go outside at seven o'clock in the morning and just say, back all your bands off, because everybody's going to leave this place peacefully.
go back inside and say to everybody, everybody's going to leave peacefully because it's what they want to do. And because of that as well, and everybody walked out to silence where everybody left. And we knew we'd have it away for nine, ten hours. It was brilliant, and that's probably the best thing I've ever DJed in my life. And also, I did it on my own as well. There wasn't another DJ, it was just me. So you can imagine, I played a few records twice on that night. What records did you play twice? <laughs> or give us one of the tracks you played twice. So you what, not through wanting to play it twice on that. No, I'll, Young MC, I must have played that five times. That people just coming up and minding you that much, just saying, put that on, you're like, they've not played it about an hour ago. I'm like, God, but everybody loves it. <laughs> Rhymes ever made by man I'm going into this mic written by this hand I'm coming out of this mouth made by this tongue I tell you now my man, my name is Young But so you think that this your destiny To get the best of me But I suggest to be quiet Or don't even try it from the east and west of me Taking it to never breaking it Or even shaking it Grooving it to always moving it Cause I'm not faking it Pulling out rhymes like books off the shelf Born in England, raising hollers Talk to go for myself This is stone cold rhyming No frills, no bluffs And it's no accident that these rhymes sound tough I'm going off, baby, there's no turning back I'm on your TV, on your album cassette And they track And when the show is finally finished I'll be taking my bow My name is Young and yo, I got no how You know what I'm saying? I got no hat Party people I got no hat I kick it just like this I got juice like the president I'm making rappers hesitant Invite me to your house and I'll be chilling like a resident Yes, cause I'm that type of man Cause I make myself at home no matter where I am I got it rolling like thunder Making y'all wonder why I'm on top with all the other rappers under I make no errors, mistakes or blunders It's like a wedding, let no man put asunder My name is Young, I see I like to ride right well Cause when I get up on the mic I just release my spell It's no hocus pocus, I just get you with the focus It's warm all over you just like a horde of locusts Smooth operator, female persuader Spot a fly girl and in a week I'm on a date I got the kind of style for the here and the now And I can do it cause I got no high you know I got no hat. Party people, I got no hat. Bust it. Rhymes like runs and hits with no errors Cold like a blizzard on the mic I am the wizard with the funky fresh rhymes Coming out of the funky blizzard Never season, never coughing I rock the mic often Hard as a rock and no sign I'll soften Making sure I get respect on my mind Rhymes connect I start to build like a builder from an architect Moving all around above and under the ground You see my face and then you hear my sound Coming at ya with the mic in hand I'm gonna take command just the way I plan Cause I'm a one man band and you are my fan Don't you understand? I'm like Superman You're the man of steel Don't you know the deal? You better be for real I got sex appeal This is what I feel And this here's my vow And I You know the brother with no how, you know what I'm saying? I got no how, and I'm chillin', never healin'. In my mouth I got two feelings, whatever. 
I'm on a mic, cold stone, getting over my name is young, I see known as the fly cast and I'm kicking. And that's where it just starts to be so, every time I put it on, and I did play it though, the sounds were broken in the night, but it was a long night. When I did play it, the place went for dirt, so I just stopped in the end, so I did the charity, give them what they want. But that was, that's got to be, for me, it's got to be, you know, and I've played in front of Spain and places like that, that's big. Big gigs, me and Mark McKinley did one a couple of years ago called Satisfaction in Malaga, and it was huge, that. But, I mean, standing there, it's, it's unbelievable. But doing something like that, that was magic, that was brilliant. Talking about your tone early on, you did some tracks with him, didn't you? Under the uh, Q yeah. Sounds name. How did they come about? Yeah. The Q Sound came about because, although I was heavily involved with Dave and Steve in Awesome 3, can I just say as well, I want to give a bit of a heads up to Steve and Dave really, because just on the fact that every Awesome 3 track, the one thing that set me hat off to them about is the fact that every track sounded completely different. Every track, the sounds in the tracks and the, what the tracks are about and what the tracks are doing are all completely different. Personally, I think that that's down to the fact that across the years, although Steve's been the anchor man, quite a lot of people have come in and out of Awesome 3, so that's how you'll get different sounds, won't you? That's how you'll get different sounding tracks. Shoe Sound came about because Tony was looking to get in the studio and do stuff. I'd spoke to him about it and saying, you know, if we get the chance, let's get back to doing something that we really, really want to, we really want to write. And although it would be more underground, let's do some stuff that we want to do. And we booked some timing with, actually it was on an awesome free session, a guy called Cy Crompton. Cy was playing through some breaks. And I just said to him, can you play that break again? And he played it. I said, do us a favour, save it out, get the diary out. And he got the diary out. And I said, I want to book some studio time break there, save it out. Have you anybody else been using that? He went, no. It was James Taylor Porter, a loop that he got from it. And I said, I want to book some studio time out. And then went back to Tony and said, I've found a break, you've got to come in. We can write a track just around this break. Then we did go in and we came out with Q Sound Good Night and we played it to Ken. Ken played it more or less at the end of every night at Bowlers that he DJed there. If he was closing the show, he played it at the end.
aging set who looked after us with Orson 3 had a guy working there called Solomon Barker, it was him and his father who owned the aging set. And he was that impressed with the track that he set a record label up to put it out. Solid Silver up. This point, I'm still doing stuff with Awesome 3. We're still trying to write a follow-up single to Don't Go. We're still going out gigging. And, but I thought I need to do something different than what we've been doing with Awesome 3. We came up with Good Night, which is it's an unusual track. It's just a big instrumental, but it's perfect for the end of the night. Me, personally, it's, and not only feels the same, in my opinion, it's the best thing that I've ever done. Good night. Of all the remixes, writing, everything. Q, yeah, Q sound, good night is the one for me. Dancing on the stage, so you don't mind, you know, one on, 
if you don't mind. Me and Dave have had a few beers by this point as well. For want of a better description, we're at it already, me and Dave. I said, what we'll do is, you, you, although with your music, you can't really hear music in here now, you dance in front of us, and then you dance in front of us, and then we'll do like a bit of a dance-off, and then we'll pick the one who's coming on stage. So all of a sudden, the camaraderie between the pair of them disappears, and they both want to be on the stage. <laughs> and, uh, so one of them starts off, and then either I said, look, let's just do like, a, you know, two minutes each, but they're not on it, but we are just absolutely ripping the piss out of them here. So, one of them starts, just two minutes, the other one, it's me and David and each other going, I can't, I can't work, I can't, I can't watch it, mate. I can't work it out. Who's, who's, I tell you what, let's see you dancing together. And then, so I said, I said to these two lads, do us a favour, give us a minute, we need to have a chat. So, these two guys walked out, so Dave said, don't do it anymore, Pete. You put, put my fucking misery. He's like, it's out of it. So I was like, no, it is, Dave. It's a laugh now, getting back in here. So I said, both dance together and see what goes on. Anyway, we both set back. Bear in mind, there's no music here. Oh, you can't really hear any music. We've just got two nutters in front of us in white suits eating bananas dancing. <laughs> One of them kicks the other one. This wasn't staged. This, this is what, how it was supposed to end. But one of them kicks the other one by accident. So he falls over, gets up on his feet, and he launches himself at the other one. So now we've got two dancers in the room. Fucking <laughs> shit out of each other. There's bananas flying all over the show, drinking it. <laughs> And me and Dave
I, I mean, I know, I know that everybody's got a million stories like this. Every Saturday, when you think about it, every Saturday night for people going out, that's what happened, isn't it? That is what happened. But the other one was, we're in Livingstone up at, I'm sure it was awesome 101, massive gig. And Steve gone back to the hotel, so I didn't know which, I'd forgot. With me and Dave were, we were, well, we were up here, that's what we were. We'd got back to the hotel. Steve had gone a couple of hours before that. So I said, I don't know which room I'm in, I ain't got a clue. In fact, where's Steve? Let's get him up. We went to the manager, this is about six o'clock in the morning, this bar, by the way. So we went to the manager of this hotel and said to him, I said, that's it, Steve's in that room there. Let's go in. When the manager opens the door, run and jump on him. I'll just jump on him on the bed and we'll wake him up. Anyway, the manager opens the door. The manager opens the door of me and Dave run in and jump on this bloke who's in the book on this person who's in this bed. Lights go on. All hell breaks loose. It's not Steve, is it? It's just a businessman who's in bed. <laughs> and the manager the manager's just let two men in and jumped on him. So you can imagine what you can see where the manager's thinking, now can't your manager's thinking. I'm going to get sacked. And as all this happens, Steve walks past us on the hallway and goes, what's going on there? <laughs> can imagine the manager getting sacked, can't you? Yeah. But it's just the timing of it all. Me and Dave stood at the door and this guy's going, what the fucking hell is going on? I've got to say to the manager then, Sorry, it's not him. I've got you in a bit of trouble here, aren't I? And he's going, you're joking. Anyway, this guy's still kicking off in the background. My swing Steve, <laughs> just on us, but that with Dave, a lot of stuff happened like that. But I bet it happened for you guys as well. It was just never ended, wasn't it? You yeah, think, yeah. Just part of it, when you look back on it, you just think to yourself, that one real lot. I'll tell you one of ours, right? Like, it's on our podcast, it's on the Moonquest podcast, but I'll tell you it quick. We're doing a gig in Scotland. Debbie used to wear this cat suit with a zip down the front. Under 18's gig in Scotland, and all the kids are all there, they're all going on, they're giving it all this turns on. And she's like, oh, they're all going mad. Anyway, a zip had fallen down the front, her tits had fallen out, <laughs> and we're hanging out of this cat suit. And then she's pulling it all back up then because she realises that her tits are hanging out. I mean, Mark, are like, why don't you turn around and let us see it? Because we didn't see anything. All we saw was a, was a dancer doing close to all your dreams, and her tits are all falling out on the stage. I've got to say, Close to show your dreams is still in my box actually. It's one of the tracks that I always play. If I'm going doing an old school night, it is one of the tracks that I'll play, so that's off to you there, brother. Right, cheers, pal. Don't go, you think, what a tune, what a tune, and then you hear stuff like uh, close to all your dreams, and I just think to myself, Christ, that is massive.
went to each other charts and stuff like that. But that was huge. Just missed out on the top 40. The reason why it missed out on the top 40 was because Mark was at network. Neil Rushton turned around to him and says, so what do you want for your artwork then? I might have just picked a fire up and says, oh, something like that there. Have you ever seen the front cover close to our dreams? It's got this stupid fit, stupid cover on it. This is how it came about. He didn't know what, he was only a kid, he was only like 17, 18 at the time. Fixed fire, says, oh, that there. So then he puts this massive flyer on the front of the cover of it and then really, really small print, Ribbon Quest close to our dreams. So you walk into a shop, you don't even know where it was. It should have had Ribbon Quest close to our dreams slapped. Yeah, they're big it. letters and yeah. we've got in the charts we're just only A's are actually 100 records it was charted it missed yeah. out on the top 40 by about 100 sales do you know what though that's that margin there between 45 to 45 to 37 38 you are talking at the time you were talking like a few hundred records weren't you if that if, if the margin could have been even smaller couldn't it no it was 100 sales we know how many sales it was it's about, I think it was 100 sales we was off the top 40 that's what we're falling out was all indie bands as well so it makes you think because they didn't like dance music at the time radio one so it makes you think yourself i'd just put the figures a bit so we didn't go in you know what i mean yeah because if we'd have gone in low 30s it would have moved up yeah definitely definitely it's a banger it's a massive chat it still stands up today doesn't it massive flat there's not many people who don't play it is there no no oh thanks it's like yours it's like your don't go you know what i mean same thing I think what I did in the end is I got because I think there's an expectation that when you go and play somewhere that you're going to play your own record. What I tend to do, and I've done it a few times actually, I've just gone into, I've just dropped it into studio and done sort of like edits on it so people don't know what it is. I've just done. I mean, I've got one particular edit with it, and it just stops. Massive, massive, deep strings. I should send it to Steve actually. He should use it on the live gigs. Counting down from three to one, three favourite tracks from from back in the day. Right, number three. I'm gonna go with. I am gonna pick Young MC No Harm. Number two is a rock solid DJ Minx. Can you relate? First time I've done that's the end of what I remember standing there with my brother Tony. I'll never forget it and just John Silver who played it and I just thought to myself, what in God's name is this? And the break in it is devastating. It's a monster trap. Can listen the position you wish it was in words coming out from the power within kill the din one of men is a mood to meddle with send you on your way without a bike to pedal with here's the rhyme that i gave you to settle with always trying to bring me down to your level with loose lips sink ships or even worse my temperature's way up high ready to burst my lips are fresh because we're living a breathing you never want to battle when i come you're leaving paraffin lights if it's touched by a naked flame when i hold the mic i see rappers do the same it's a shame but it's the name of the game but still i change my style and chill not once but twice you gotta watch the rebound watch the way the Step back and you'll be lost in the rubble The KID speaks for twice the trouble 
number one just because of the way he produces and the way he mixes as well and the way some of his remixes and the way he works has been for me he is the number one i'm going to pick orbital midnight choice and that's the sasha remix and that for me he was just the first dj who really brought drama to what to proceedings in a real never seen standing there waving his hands in the air or anything like that and he brought a real it was just the way he structured his nights and his, his remixes are, and even his stuff what he does today and his remixing is just it's it's second to none in my book he's the master at it so my number one is midnight choice and that's a uh, orbital the session next
just like to say a big thank you to Pete from me for coming on the show and sharing some of your tales from the rave.
themselves from the rave. <laughs> <laughs>